Welcome back to Kyle's Internal Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the Babylon 5 Season 3 episode, War Without End. And this is a two-part episode, and I decided to cover it all in one episode, much like I did with the two-parter back in Season 1. Uh, so this episode is pretty famous. I can't think of a single person who, you know, hasn't heard of Babylon 5 and, and you know, hasn't heard of this episode in particular. Because we have so much leading up to this. This is one of, like, the big event episodes. Um, it's just, it's Sinclair's final moments. It's it's Sinclair uh, becoming who he was always destined to become. Uh, he is Valen. He is the, effectively, Space Jesus. He is the religious leader the re revered figure, the form, or the, the the person who forms everything we know about modern Mimbari society and modern Mimbari culture and government, all comes from Sinclair. And uh, this is something I talked about way back when, uh, back when I was covering season one. I talked about all the little things that were pointing to this reveal uh and I'll, I'll i'll just go ahead and talk about everything and then uh and then i'll talk about the uh uh the what could have been and then i'll get into the rest of the episode because uh, obviously the the valen reveal is what everybody comes to this episode for it's what everybody remembers this episode and you know well it's the reason everybody remembers it um there was tons and tons of foreshadowing about him being valen even though that wasn't the plan. It's, it's kind of funny to, to think about this. It shows just the strength of JMS's writing style to be able to do this, to really pull off a reveal like this without it seeming contrived, without it seeming coming out of nowhere, making it seem fully believable and fully foreshadowed, even though his plans was initially for Sinclair to be the main character. If Sinclair had remained the main character, Sheridan would never have existed, and there would be no revelation that Sinclair was Valen. It's worth noting we have confirmation of this. Um, we have the script books. We have the, 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 the rough outline um, made between the gathering and the filming of the first season, which shows a lot of the way the, se the series would have gone if Sinclair had remained the main character. If Michael O'Hare's, uh, you know, mental issues had not come to light and he had not left the show for health reasons, uh, the show would have gone in pretty much almost the exact same direction with a couple of changes here and there. As James says nowadays, about 80% of what he had planned made it on screen. So we didn't lose too much. Uh, as it is, this the entire plot of War Without End, excluding the Valen plot, is entirely different. Um, because if you remember way back in Babylon Squared, it's heavily implied, but not outright stated, that Babylon 4 is heading into the future. Uh, and uh, and we have confirmation once again that the uh, the that the entire situation that happened with uh, with the, the in the in the original outline was that it was going towards the future because future Sinclair and Delin, his now wife who uh, has just had a child named David, has uh, you know uh, steals Babylon Four 
brings it forward in time. They rename it Babylon Prime. It's a new show. The end. Um, and the, there was a lot of different, you know, situations going on. The the warrior cast had turned on Sinclair, and Sinclair's destiny was not to become a, the Membari religious leader, but to be. Uh, a very important figure in Membari society because he was the father of the person that is to form this uh, interstellar sort of union and bring uh, the Membari and the humans closer together. And this this uh, this person was to be part Membari. Uh, of course, the David thing is still kind of there. David isn't as significant as he once was, um, but you know, just to briefly mention what happens in the Sheridan part of this episode, we do find out that Dylan and him do get married and they do have a kid. Um, but uh, Michael O'Hare returning was such a such a an exciting moment. Uh, you know, I when I first watched this, obviously, um, I, I I had. I had found out why Michael O'Hara had left, and I never expected him to show back up, and then he did, and he wraps up his arc. And yeah, you can tell, you know, he's, he's you know, the, there was issues with him still. Uh, he was definitely better um, than he once was, but you can tell there's a way he's acting now is very different from the way he acted as Sinclair before. Um, the waves, the way he reads lines, the tone he uses, very, very different. Similar, but different. Um, and while you can read that as, as sort of the issues that we know, uh, getting a hold of him and, and sort of everything that was going on in his life, or I read it as a stylistic choice of, of Sinclair has significantly changed since we last saw him. You know, two years ago, he was a very different man. You know, he was a directionless uh, man who um, was put on this station that he didn't quite feel he quali really qualified to be on. Uh, and he comes to find out that it's all because the Mimbari requested him. And there's all this weird stuff going on. But he, he in his heart of hearts, there, there's even that entire, that the only good part of infection is when Garibaldi sits Sinclair down and basically has a discussion that he has survivor's guilt and is possibly suicidal. That is, like, the only good part of infection. Um, like, S Sinclair needed a direction. He needed purpose, and that was always his intended arc. And even if it's significantly changed from the original plan, it still works magnificently and was pre-planned enough by JMS after Michael Hare left to be perfectly foreshadowed and just jaw-dropping reveal. You know, that that speech he gives to Lynn that uh, I'm the arrow that springs from the bow, you know, uh, it's, it's the perfect encapsulation of where Sinclair's uh, sort of arc was going and now he's completed his arc. And, you know... A lot of this episode is centered on, you know, giving a conclusion to Sinclair's um, personal arcs uh, and overarching story. Finally, since uh, since the character did not get full resolution for obvious reasons, and I think a lot of what lies at the strength of this episode is the Sinclair bits. 
because it, it brings sort of these open-ended questions of, uh, you know, not just plot-wise of what happened to him, but also just mentally. How did this guy with survivor's guilt, who felt like he should have died at the Battle of the Line, who is directionless, you know, and, and full of misery and guilt, how does he move on? How does he find direction and purpose again? Uh, let his life have meaning. And now he has meaning. He has a direction. Um, and it, 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 it's it's good arc. It's really good. And I wish we could have seen more of it. Because I think it would have been a fascinating arc to watch unfold. Um, and it, it's part of it's part of the reason I lobby. I, I know a lot of people find this opinion controversial. Because Babylon 5 is you know perfect and amazing. And it, it truly is. I do think Babylon 5 is great. It's my favorite TV show of all time. I'm not going to admit that it doesn't have faults, because it certainly does. Uh, but it is my favorite TV show of all time. And I've always said if they wanted the reboot, if Warner Brothers gave a shit about the franchise, which they don't, they really don't. Um, if Warner Brothers gave a shit about the franchise and they let Jameis come back, you either reboot one of two ways. You do a full-on reboot, uh, you know, and retell the entire Babylon 5 arc in uh, using modern technology and modern TV writing skills. So no more 22 episode seasons. They would be smaller, condensed, uh, less, uh, less of those like filler episodes that I, that I've been noticing throughout the seasons. Uh, it's going to be more compact. Um, but also, uh, modern, modern special effects and bigger budget and stuff like that. Uh, and you retell it the way it was intended to be. So Sinclair is the number one. You know, he's the main character from beginning to end. That means we would no longer have the Valen reveal. But whatever was in store from the initial idea for Sinclair would have been fascinating to watch. The other way you do it is do the reboot way of Babylon 5 is perfect and wonderful and should remain perfect and wonderful and not be touched. You go and you redo one of the failed spinoffs, be that Legend of the Rangers, which I'm not as interested in, or you do Crusade, uh, which I'm far more interested in. Alternatively, you could also do uh, a couple of other instances of, of things we find out that will happen in the future of the Babylon 5 world uh, that we don't touch upon in Babylon 5 itself or skim over in the two spinoffs. Um, I won't get into that because that's potentially going to spoiler territory. Um, but in my opinion, those are the two ways to reboot the franchise. Be interesting to see. Um, but nonetheless, the big Valen reveal, everybody knows it. It's fantastic. What can what else can I say? It perfectly encapsulates Sinclair's arc since season one, and it's perfect to see this. And it, it's amazing as a sort of a writer in me to see the the sort of breadcrumbs being left there, to constantly be told about this revered figure of Mbarney society, and you have no idea that this revered figure you'll just think oh he's like the jesus of the membardi you know religion move on kind of thing and you have no idea that the person you're talking about was a main character in this show that you care about that you grew the love for an entire season it's smart it's really really smart and just very clever writing but past the the sinclair being valen reveal 
because I believe we've talked about that enough. Let's talk about the rest of the episode. It's, once again, fantastic two-parter. Um, I do think that there are some flaws with this two-parter. It is not perfect. I know that this is sort of, bla sort of blasphemy, considering the fact that uh, uh, War Without End is such an iconic aspect of the show. Everybody talks about the mystery of Babylon 4 and how fucking amazing that reveal is and how it knocks your sock off. You know, everybody talks about this. If they know Babylon 5, they talk about this. But there are some flaws, and I want to get into that. So there's the obvious continuity issues um, with Babylon Square. And once again, I will point out, this is not the intended um, sort of idea for this episode. The intended idea of this episode was very, very, very different, as I mentioned. So, uh, in the reworking of the plot to fit the new parameters of the show, which clearly he had been working on for a while because he was able to breadcrumb that shit in, uh, to the point that Valen being Sinclair was perfectly foreshadowed for the past, at least since season two, um, that and you can see some of it in season one, though I would argue none of that was intentional. Um, you speak like a Membari commander comes to mind, uh, especially considering in season one we had the Great Council, you know, threatening to kill him. And I talked about that. It was like he's the religious figure and you, you think his soul is being reborn in a human body. Why would you then kill your Jesus because you like think it's him but you are afraid he'll find out that it's him the logic there doesn't make much sense but i'm back on the valen thing it's the big it's the big important part of this episode it's hard not to just jump right back in um but there are some continuity issues um you know uh the big ones i can think of is um the person in the spacesuit uh, very clearly, uh, you know, uh, Zathras refers to him, it, it refers to the one as him, but the one, the person in the spacesuit turns out to be Delenn. Um, is Sinclair taking the, uh, the helmet off, either the big reveal in, in Babylon Square that it's an old, grizzled, war-torn, sort of world-weary Sinclair, um, the dialogue has been re-recorded, uh, Delenn is saying her lines in a very loving tone in Babylon Squared. Uh, plus, she's also wearing uh, different clothes. Uh, they, they, they cleverly cut away to avoid uh, showing uh, showing her, uh, her red cloak uh, that, that we see come into frame in Babylon Squared. Uh, the... Uh, the the intentional versus accidental jump ahead so the the emp thing that happens on babylon uh, babylon 4 that causes them to jump into the future four years into the future that would be the time frame of season one uh and uh it was implied it was implied that this was on purpose by zathras back in babylon squared that the one wanted to release the personnel before continuing on their journey. Um, and so that that was the intention. 
but we find out that it was accidental, so it kind of ruins that. And then the uh, Zathras, the way he's captured, he's found looking for the tools to fix the time device, the time stabilizer, when uh, in Babylon, uh, Babylon Squared is mentioned that there was a flash and then suddenly he appeared, implying that there are that the way he showed it is different. And one could say, it's the nature of time travel, that uh, you could make an argument, I could theoretically see this, that this is a classic time loop. Babylon 4 is always is always taken to the future and into the past because they've always went back and done it. It's the greatest mystery of the last decade, according to to uh, Sheridan, and has been hyped up in the show itself. And we find out it's these characters because they've uh, they, they, they uh, Babylon 4 always disappears because it's always gone because they always go back in time and do it. It's a classic time loop, but maybe. Uh, to steal a phrase from another sci-fi show, which is thus stolen from Peter Pan. All this has happened before, and all this will happen again, but each of us play different parts. Uh, maybe, maybe, just maybe, we see it happen differently. I don't know. There could be an argument that way. I don't know. I don't really consider that. It's just classic, uh, you know, people forgetting what they previously written. Uh, you, no matter how well planned out something is, there's going to be mistakes. I've caught it in some of the best things, you know, uh, one of my favorite comics, The Question, has a continuity error in it regarding uh, Tot's uh, educational history um, when when he graduated high school, when he went to college, uh, is uh, contradicted twice. Um, so, it, like, there are some classic mistakes that happen at all works of fiction. You just kind of go with it. Um... And there is one thing that brings down this episode. You know, I count this as one episode, but but it's technically two episodes of flashbacks. Now, I understand this is the 90s. This is before long-form storytelling became the norm in, in, uh, in television. But the flashbacks get absurd. Um, we see the conference uh, where Sinclair Garibaldi... And the the captain of Babylon Four are talking to Zathras, the the you know, Zathras one, but no one listened. That that entire deal, you you, you need to steal Babylon Four for uh, as base of operations in a war, you know, great hope of peace. That entire conversation, we see it twice. We flash back to it twice. Once again, if you're watching this as one in one go, we see a flashback to it in. Uh, in the first part, in the second part, we see it happen in real time as Zathras gets captured and taken there. And I understand in part two, wanting to indulge in the, these two episodes are happening right next to each other. They're literally happening at the same time. This is the larger perspective of the smaller perspective you were given two years ago. I perfectly understand the, the want to do that. It's very tempting, but we literally sit there and re-rehash scenes from a two-year-old episode, um, you know, an episode from two seasons ago, and it's, I would, I, I, I hesitate to call it problematic, but it just feels like unnecessary padding. Like, 
just just show a quick glimpse at the interrogation of Zathras. Just like maybe maybe just quickly show of you know Zathras won, but no one listened. And then and, and, and then we move on, and, and then we cut to what everybody else is doing throughout the episode. We don't need to see the whole thing. Case in point. There's a time travel episode in uh, in a Star Trek series called Star Trek Deep Space Nine where they travel back in time to an original series episode called Tr uh, Trouble with Triples, and it is the episode on Deep Space Nine called Trials and Tribulations. We do not see full scenes of the original series. We see the characters spliced into s particular scenes, but we do not see the full scene, and in the full scenes, the quote-unquote full scenes we see are edited down for time and for brevity, meaning that the audience is expected to know what's going on because they've probably watched that episode, so you don't need to rehash everything. It's a small technical quibble. Uh, you know, I, I don't think it's too bad. Uh, I just think it's annoying because, like I said, we did see that Zathra scene. If once again, if you take both parts as one episode, we see the Zathra scene twice. Um, so on to the rest of the episode. Um, I love that the mystery of Babylon Four was known by the Great Council the entire time, and they just never elected to tell anyone. I find that hilarious and also very Mimbari. Um, and uh, I just want to talk real quick about the Sheridan section. Just the thing of that Sheridan, you know, travels forward, but he doesn't physically travel forward. He he sort of takes the place of his own body, uh, and and that that's further further hinted at by the fact that he's wearing age, like aged makeup. But the aged Delenn says, you know, I I see the innocence that in your eyes that went away so long ago. And he's 17 years in the future. Centauri Prime is on fire. Uh, Londo is emperor, as was predicted. And he has this strange being, you know, on him that controls him. It's called his keeper. You know, we all have our keepers. Uh, and I will talk about the keepers more as they become more plot relevant, especially in seasons four and five, particularly season five. But the, the the keepers are scary to think about. They are honestly one of the scariest aspects of this universe. Um, and it, it's fascinating to see that we know outright, the, uh, you know, Londo says it, you know, the, this is the consequences of your war. That you, you thought driving the shadows away would solve everything, but that didn't solve everything. Uh, if you've said Dark Servants, you know, continued onwards... We, we've heard and seen in several episodes the people that serve the shadows. We know that they exist. And doesn't it make sense when you kill the master? Don't, don't you know, if, if they fully believe in their right to serve them, they're going to take vengeance. And while Londo isn't particularly right, uh, because I could get into spoiler territory but i'm not going to uh they have another reason to take vengeance uh against londo in particular but um it's it, it this is this is the power level of just one of the shadow's servants and we've already seen the insane power level of the shadows like this this war is not going to be easy and it's really important to remember that um and uh, 
I like that we're introduced to the fact that he, he has to drink himself into a stupor to talk to them, to talk to uh, Sheridan and Delenn. You know, before he is the raving, cartoonishly evil emperor who's a tyrant. Not really. As he talks about, I put on a good performance. He doesn't care what I do as long as I do what he says. So, basically, he puts on a mask. He's quite literally wearing a mask, as he always has. Even now, he wears a mask, and now it's going to get even more tragic. I can go more into detail about that, but I don't want to spoil too much. And we will see this night again, you know, um, leading up to his death, which we see. We finally see his death at the hands of Shakar. Um, and we see Shakar's lost eye. And, you know, there, there's there's a sense of sadness of Jakar having to kill Londo. I want people to remember that, because I'm going to talk about that more later. And they, they talk to each other as they're friendly. You know, hello, friend. Uh, you know, and, and we will see this night again. I will be covering in the beginning, right after season four. So, uh... You know, this is this is something. Th- this night is in a very important night in Londo's life. Not just because he dies here, but what he does with the final moments of his life. He dies, finally setting on his path of redemption. Save the you know, and at your last, save the man who is already dead. You know, do not kill him. And I will talk about that later, but just remember, don't go to Zahadum. And Delin pleads that to Sheridan. There's just so much in this episode that all le- that is so much connected to the past, but also to the future. It's mm, good writing. Um, and I, th- there's actually two more things I want to talk about before I head out here. Um, is the symbology of threes. Throughout Babylon 5, there's a lot of talk about doing things again and again and again until it sticks. There's a lot of, uh, you know, s- symbology of three in regards to, especially the Bimbari, the, you know, the great councils made of three and three. Uh, everything is beginning, middle and end. Uh, the, 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 the sort of symbologies of of the, the, the number three comes into play to making the one. You know, the one that is, the one that was, and the one that will be. Um, I, I just really like that. I, I think I talked about it way back in season one about the symbology of three. Uh, but I like how you can notice that uh, and see how he's playing with that. Um, but the, the final thing I want to talk about is... Uh, the Sinclair Garibaldi stuff. So Sinclair, the, he he ages because if you time travel unprotected, the uh, the the further away you get from your time frame, and then, and then once you jump back, the closer you get, uh, you you age. Uh, so thus Sinclair is forced to stay, uh, to become Valen, uh, but he makes sure that Garibaldi does not go. So that, uh, so that he would be spared this fate, so that he could live out his life and do what is necessary. And, uh, in, 
it's really sad because they're best friends and they're doomed to never see each other again you know Sinclair goes into this situation knowing he's traveling back in time a thousand years to become Valen because he wrote the letter to himself Dolin knows it too but Garibaldi can't know because he doesn't want his friend to feel that grief and so he has to force Garibaldi away and he, you can tell he's upset about that you can tell he's choked up about it uh, and that, that that line it kills me every time of you know uh, when when is like don't you want to see him he was your friend and he's like more than you will ever know uh, it's just it's just really it's really heartbreaking I like how this person who goes on to become a legend in all respects of the term a hero a religious leader someone vitally important to an entire race of people is just human enough to make one mistake it's a mistake that he doesn't have to pay for because it ultimately doesn't work but he was human enough to make it he was willing to sacrifice everything even though the letter told him what to do just to save a friend so as garibaldi and his past self are leaving during the babylon squared incident he tries to radio Garibaldi and say, we want your back. He doesn't want to have to go through that pain of watching his friend almost die, be shot in the back and crawl to safety in hopes he'll, be sur he'll survive and only be brought back thanks to an alien machine and the kindness of, an, of a random stranger. It's a nice touch. Shows that Sinclair, despite how almost Vorlon he has become, uh, they make a joke out of that. Uh, you know, if you expect an answer from Ranger 1, you're not going to get one. Uh, it's enigmatic. You, you can stand upside down and you'll either understand or you'll pass out and have a vision. Um, and, uh, you know, he's still human and he still cares a great deal. Um, this is, War Without End is one of those episodes that it, it's, it's hard to talk about such an episode that has had such an effect on everybody who's watched it, everybody remembers the first time they watched War Without End. Without a doubt, everyone remembers. And it's all because of those final few minutes when it's revealed that he's Valen. Because it's so well done. You, you, It's one of those things that you've just, you remember. You remember when you were there kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, it's a damn good episode. It has flaws, but it's a damn good episode. Anyway, thank you for your time. See you later. Bye.